Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. This wisdom series has helped us because we've learned from Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. His father was King David. He inherited an amazing kingdom. But today we're going to find out some powerful things about wisdom. We're going to find out that it's a little easier to gain wisdom yourself than it is to pass it to the next generation. Two, people often have said to me, Somebody said to me the other day, I was with, they go, Pastor, you're very, very wise. Now, I haven't heard that until recent years. And now I look at them and go, no, I'm just very, very old. If I was 33 and people told me I was wise, that would be wisdom. But by the time you get to be my age, you've watched things happen in life and you realize patterns and cycles and you look back and go, look, I didn't know this when I was 15. I didn't know this when I was 30. But when you make this decision, you set in line a series of circumstances that ultimately are going to yield an outcome that you may like or you may not want to. One of Michelle's favorite quotes is, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. But conversely, you never know what's on the other side of your disobedience. Because both of them set into play a series of circumstances that are going to yield something that you may regret or that you may be blessed by. There were true trees in the garden. One was the tree of life. You could eat all that you wanted of that tree. The other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told Adam and Eve not to eat of it because in the day they ate, they would die. There are two paths. There is the path of obedience, eating from the tree of life or eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and having to learn from disobedience. The sad consequences of eating from the tree of knowledge is that you only learn from experience, not from instruction. In other words, you learn after fear, guilt, and shame, and the pain of separation from God and others that you love. Sin always separates. Sin always separates. Would you say that with me? Sin always It doesn't just separate us from God. Ask somebody who commits adultery. It'll separate you from your mate. Ask someone who got drunk and did something really stupid. It separates you from family and friends that love you. Ask someone who stole. Ask someone who lied. Sin always separates. We always speak of it in perspective as separation from God because that's the most valuable relationship. But actually, sin separates you, whether you're a Christian or not, from people that love you and care about you. Sin always separates And just like that's true, wisdom is learning through obedience to God and his word, and foolishness is learning from the path of pain and the consequences of sin. There are also two different responses to trouble. Proverbs 27, 12 says it like this. The wise man sees evil coming and hides or goes another different path, but a a fool 
goes straight ahead and says, I know other people got pulled over and got a DWI, but I won't. I know other people could go around that side of town and not be bothered, but not me. I know I can go over by four corners and nothing's going to happen to me. Remember when you were a kid growing up and your parents would say things like, nothing good ever happens after midnight. How many remember that? Do you know they were right? They were right. If, if you don't think so, I'll show you all these things. Look at the online. You don't have to watch the newspaper anymore, but look online at the arrest column. You seldom see anybody arrested at noon on four corners. <laughs> like at noon on four corners. No one ever gets arrested at noon on four corners. Like two o'clock in the morning on Simcoe Street. Like what a surprise. Two o'clock in the morning at Simcoe, something bad happened. It is simply the fool who goes, I can be there and it won't happen to me. I can go there and I won't do that. I can be around those type of people and it won't affect me. And there are two paths that we can get stuck on. One, we can get stuck on the path of righteousness that's doing what's right. Or two, you can get stuck on stupid. Oh, you know people stuck on stupid. You got a call this week. They did again? They did what? Don't they ever learn? One of the most powerful messages in this series I did was out of Proverbs 26, 11, where it says, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool returns back to his own foolishness. It's Dr. Darius Daniels who actually will be here on the 13th to the 15th of September, who reminded us that there is a difference between seasons and cycles. Seasons change, spring, winter, summer, fall. But cycles don't change until you change. How many of you know people that are always in bad relationships? It's like the only, it was was like, if you look up a dictionary on howtofindajerk.com, it's like, that's where they choose from. It's true. And they're always surprised. How many of you know people that are always in debt? And always surprised. And though they're surprised, the people that know them aren't. Because you know what the biggest thing that you hate about when you vomit after vomiting? You know what the worst part is? The aftertaste. You know what the aftertaste of a fool's life is? It's regret. Regret is a condition filled with guilt and fear and shame. And then the aftertaste of being separated from people that you love. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. We're about to discover that being wise is one thing and transmitting that wisdom to your children is altogether a different one. Someone wisely once said, if we realized who we were living all of our wealth to, we'd work a whole lot longer on who we're living it to and a lot less longer on earning more. I think every one of us know that that's true. Today, the Bible is filled with the stories. How many have ever heard somebody say like this? Well, why can't you have three wives? There were men in the Bible that did it. One guy told me, he said, I think the Bible says you could have 12 wives. I said, really? He said, yeah, four richer, four better, and four worse. (laughs) And some have tried to have all those. (laughs) 
No, that's not in the Bible. That's in vowels, and that's a bad pronunciation. It has nothing to do with numbers. But when people reiterated that to Jesus, shouldn't we be able to marry whoever we want, however many times? What Jesus said in the beginning, it was not so. God created one man and one woman for a lifetime. And if you've made mistakes, God will forgive you. But listen carefully to me. Ask people that have been divorced if they have some regrets of things they would do differently in the past. Today, the aftertaste, the true aftertaste, we see so many times in the Bible. You see, there are things in the Bible that are descriptive, but not prescriptive. Let me explain that. Say descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, there were people in the Bible that had more than one wife. It's describing what happened. It's not prescribing that you do that. There were people that murdered. The Bible's not prescribing that you go around killing people. It's simply describing what happens. The commandments describe God's preferred best and God's best for you. I told you a few weeks ago that when you learn from experience, you got the test first and the lesson last. When you learn by obedience, you get the blessing first and the lesson last. Which one do you want? Which one do you want for your children? How many of you have people that give advice and you know they have no business giving advice? Have you ever had a divorced person tell you how to work on your marriage? This is true. Like I was talking to somebody one time, they came for counseling. And they said, well, when I came here, my coworker said her last husband, she told him. I said, last one? How many times was she married? I said, three times. I said, you're getting marriage advice from somebody who's been married three times. They're only an expert in making mistakes. I have to say this because it's just so true. How many of you ever remember back in the day, the book Women are from, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, or they're both from out of space. How many remember that? Okay. That was a number one bestseller. People were reading and building their lives on that premise. Whatever that, these two experts said was true. And the crazy thing is, the guy who wrote the book was married for his second time, and he was married to a woman named Barbara DeAngelis who'd been married seven times. They were doing seminars all across the world and they were number one best-selling experts on how to have marriage. And someone, I was watching an interview, wisely asked, um, Ms. DeAngelis, you, you've been married seven times. How can you give people advice on marriage? Here's what her answer was. Well, let me ask you a question, she said. If you wanted to know how to bake a cake... Would you want to know from somebody who followed the instructions and did it right the first time or someone who failed six times and on the seventh time got it right? Well, that's cool if you're making cake or brownies. But marriage is not a cakewalk. Marriage is open heart surgery. So let me ask you if you were going to get heart surgery. Would you like to be operated on a guy by a guy that just lost the previous seven patients and you're hoping that number eight is your lucky number? Today, many people who are stuck 
in places they never imagined they would be or shocked by where they are. But the truth is the people that know them and know them well aren't shocked at all. Why? Because they've chosen things, a path of foolishness. How does that begin, Pastor? Because many people are on a happiness quest and not a truth quest. Many people are on a happiness quest. What makes me happy now? What feels good now? Instead of being on a truth quest, what is a choice that I will make and be happy with now, tomorrow, a year from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now? The problem is happiness is schizophrenic. Oh, let me prove it to you. How many of you remember your first true love? How many remember the first time you thought you had fallen in love? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, the rest of you, you still looking for it? I mean, what happened? I'm glad y'all are in church today. COVID killed love. Can't match that. (laughs) How many remember the first time you ever thought you were in love? Raise your hand. Come on. On a count of three, just yell out how old you were. One, two, three. Okay. In my first life, before I was 40, I spoke to two million students in public schools on drugs, drinking, and sex. Do you know how many 14-year-olds that I've talked to? I just love him. He's the love I'm telling you. I will give everything in all my life. He's wearing a training bra. In all my life, I've just never been. I'll choose him over my mom and dad. I'll choose him over. And you're going. Now, let me ask you a question. How how old are you on the count of three? Yell out. How old are you? One, two, three. Okay. Who? What did you say? Huh? 51? You're cheating. Okay. Who yelled out an answer? If you yelled out an answer, raise your hand if you yelled out an answer. Okay. What answer did you say? 30. Okay. That's when you thought you were in love for the first time? When did you think you were in love for the first time? Okay. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Did you marry him? One person said yes. Okay. How many of you were, thought you were in love at 13 or 14 or 15? Raise your hand. Did you marry him or her? Are you glad you didn't? You walked through the mall the other day. Somebody looked at you two or three times. Baby, that man, look, I don't know who that is. Can I I confess something to y'all? You know, y'all confess to me, so I have to have somebody to confess to. Miss Michelle is from here, so I know every person she ever dated. I was her youth pastor. So I'm going to tell you before I do this, bad pastor, bad pastor, bad pastor. So the other night I'm looking on Facebook and I saw one of her, I just have to marry him on Facebook. And the devil has messed him up really bad. So I said, baby, I saw one of your old flames on Facebook. And baby, COVID killed a fire on him. I can see it. I thought you were in love. Happiness is schizophrenic. 
And when it moves from there, then it moves to what you want that will make you happy. If I could just have that car, if I could have that object, or if I could have that house, and it continues to grow. And if you build your life trying to be happy, you will always be miserable. But if you build your life on truth, you will always be happy at where you end up in the end. Today's story, today's story is called the anatomy of a bad decision. The anatomy of a bad decision. It picks up in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 42. Solomon is about to die, and the wisest man that ever lived is about to turn his kingdom over to his son. 1 Kings eleven forty-two. And Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all of Israel for 40 years. And when he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father. Then his son, what's his name? Rehoboam, come on. Rehoboam became the next king. Next chapter, verse one. Remember the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. It was simply written like that so that we could readily refer to stories like today. Rehoboam went to Shechem where all of Israel had gathered to make him king. Then Jeroboam, who was a dissident of Nebat, heard this and returned from Egypt for he'd fled to Egypt from the escape of his father, King Solomon, Rehoboam's father. And the leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak to the now new king, young Rehoboam. Your father, they said, was a hard master. Lighten, I pray, the labor demands and the heavy taxes which your father imposed upon us, and we will be your loyal subjects Rehoboam said, give me three days to think about this. And they came back, then come back for an answer. So the people went away and Rehoboam discussed the matter with who had counseled who? Okay. If Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived and these were his counselors, they were the wisest counselors that ever lived. What is your advice? How should I answer the people? And the older counselor said, if you are willing to be a servant to this people today and give them a favorable answer, they will be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of younger men who grew up with him that were his advisors. In other words, people that had no more wisdom, insight, or experience than him. What's your advice, he asked. How should I answer the people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? And the young men replied, this is what you should say to those complainers who want to lighten a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. And three days later, Jeroboam returned. And all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as he had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, and he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the advice of the young counselors. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the story. I'm going to just tell you what happened. There were 12 tribes in Israel. 
How did they become that way? Jacob had an encounter with God. God changed his name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, there was 2 million of them. Of those 12 tribes, one tribe was named Judah. And that's where we get the people called the the Jews. When he says this, his first big decision, 11 of the 12 tribes leave and only Judah stays behind. Today, thousands of years later, there's only one group of them left and they live in Israel and they're named the Jews from the tribe of Judah. Let me ask you a question. How could he inherit all of his father's wisdom? See, all that God has blessed his father with And how could he, in one decision, ruin what took his father 40 years to build? How could he do that? By making a bad decision. Here is the anatomy of a bad decision. Number one, he faced a life-altering decision. He, He didn't know that's what it was. Decisions don't always come with big notices going, hey, if you make this decision, this and this is going to happen, and this and this is going to happen. They don't always come that way. Secondly, he did something that was good. He sought wise counsel. Wasn't that good? Okay, remember this. Y'all know know how this works, okay? My job is to set the trap. Your job is to fall into it. I'm doing my job. You're not doing yours very well. Come on, New Iberia, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Third, he got counsel from others who had no more experience or wisdom than he had. Let me help you. If they're not there, how can they tell you how to get there? If they've never done it, how are they going to tell you how to do it? Here's the next thing. He rejected the counsel of the wisest people that ever lived, who counseled the wisest counselor that ever lived. Look right here. If someone ever tells you or reads to you something out of this book that is reflective of a decision that you have to make, when you reject their counsel, you're not rejecting them. You're not rejecting the church they come from. You're not rejecting religion. You're rejecting the God who made you, the owner's manual, to guide you, and you're rejecting 10,000 years of promises and penalties from those who obeyed God and walked in wisdom and those who disobeyed God all the way to the Garden of Eden. Our decisions never just affect us. They always affect other people. So pastor, what what do we we learn from Solomon's son decision? What do we learn from this man that inherited a multi-billion dollar empire, more wealth than any of the wealthiest people today? What do we learn from his mistake? Here it is. Listen carefully, young decision makers. Number one, divine direction begins with unconditional surrender. You know what's interesting? Before he even heard the counsel of the young men, he'd already rejected the counsel of the old men. I'm a preacher. You know what people do for Pastor Chris and I? You know what they do? Pastor Joseph, they come and they ask you, and if you don't give them the answer they want, they go to somebody else that will give them the answer they want. That's what they do. 
There are people that have lived in Acadiana that go from church to church to church to church to church on a happiness quest. And whenever the truth of God's word crosses their desire for happiness, they change churches thinking somehow changing churches is going to change the outcome of the stupid decisions that they're making and the fool they will become in the end. Listen, why in the world, okay, would God speak to you if you're not committed to listen? How many of you got children? Come on, claim them. They're over there and you got to go retrieve them in the end. Some of them are sitting here. How many of you ever said to your children, go pick up your room? Never said that. Now, I came from Texas, so the first time I ever heard anybody say that, I said, man, that's some strong children. I want to see them. They're going to pick up a whole room. But what you really mean is not pick up the room. What you mean is clean up the room. So they go, hey, mom, I want to go do this. Hey, dad, I want to go do all this. Okay, go pick up your room first. And they come back. Okay, now can I go? Did you pick up your room? No, go pick up your room first. Okay, by the third time, you know what you say? I am not talking to you. I'm not telling you anything else until you pick up in your room. You know why? Because you don't talk to people that don't listen to you, and neither does God. People often ask me, Pastor, look at all the mess happening in the world. Why doesn't God say something? Because he doesn't talk to people that don't listen and are committed to obey. I talk to people all the time who say to me, Pastor, I, 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 just, I just want God to speak to me. I go, read your Bible. It's God's words. They go, well, I want him to speak out loud. I go, read the Bible out loud. <laughs> Why would God take a fortune cookie or a preacher or someone else to speak to you when you got a Bible with dust on it and you got one sitting on your table, coffee table, that I guess it kills roaches because it's never been opened. Why would he speak to you in some divine, supernatural, miraculous way when you won't take his word that he's written for you to read every day? You don't have to set an appointment. You don't have to, you can just, if you just stumble over, wake up in the night, you can go. It's with you wherever you go. Divine direction begins with unconditional surrender. God doesn't give divine direction until he finds a divine willingness to obey. Here's the second thing. No one gets to the place where they no longer need wise counsel, even kings. Even kings. I think Bill Gates needed a marriage counselor. I think Jeff Bezos needed a marriage counselor. I think Bill Clinton needed a marriage counselor. Look at me. Your pastor needs someone who can speak truth to him. No one ever graduates to the place where no one can speak to you and tell you what to do, but a fool. Solomon wrote these words, I wish his young son would have remembered them and read them in Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no wise guidance is the people, but in the multitude of godly counselors, there's what? There's safety. 
Don't, don't tell me who you are, the Chinese say. Tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. One fear I have is I've been stupid before. I can be stupid again. I can be one step away from stupid, and so can you. And the more responsibility that I have, not the less counsel I need, the more counsel I need in my life. You know what this story teaches us? That even the destiny of kings is determined by who you surround yourself with and listen to. Who you surround yourself with. You you know, there's no greater privilege that's given in responsibility than being mama or daddy. But if you violate that, you might be a sperm donor in somebody's life, but you will not be a mother or a father in their life. Many people don't learn the lesson Rehoboam should have learned. Just because you got the title doesn't mean God gives you the gift. That you must acquire on a daily basis every day of your life. I want to ask you a question. Who knows you that can say N-O to you? Who knows you? Who have you invited into your life that can truly look at you and go, hey, you you really need, this this is not a good decision. This will not go well. You say, pastor, do you need that? I need that more than any single person in this room. Do you know why? Because I'm more responsible. More responsible. Here's number three. You will never reach your full potential without the wisdom of others. You will never, ever, ever reach your full potential. I was, when I was the chaplain for the saints, we had a guy that would come down. He tried to act like one of Michelle's other children. His name was Willie Whitehead. Willie was the defensive end, and, and he, he played at Auburn. He was just a country kid. I remember the first time he came and said, uh, could your wife arm my clothes? I went, bro, did you? You don't know what you're doing. (laughs) You're about to get killed. Check yourself. (laughs) I was asking Willie. We had Ricky Williams at that time. He'd just given the whole draft for him. And I said, uh, hey, Willie, I said, your locker's right near Ricky's. Well, what's what's going on with Ricky? He goes, Pastor, mine ain't been it and I ain't in it. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, Pastor, you know, he doesn't like people in his business, and I don't like people in my business all up in, up in, my, biz- up in my business. I don't like people up in my business and just telling me what to do. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, you don't like people telling you what to do. He said, yeah. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Who's your head coach? He said, Mike Digger. I said, who's the defensive coordinator? He said, Zavin Aurelia. I said, what position do you play? He said, Pastor, you know I play defensive end. I said, yeah. I said, who's your position coach? And he called his name. And I said, and who's your strength coach? He said, Mike Weissick. I said, so let me get this right. To play football on live TV for two and a half hours, 16 weekends out of the year, you have a head coach, a defensive coordinator, a position coach, and a strength coach. Now, if you have four people to tell you just what to do 16 weekends a year for two and a half hours, don't you think you need one that can spiritually guide you and prepare you for the rest of your whole life, both now and for eternity? (laughs) Only a fool doesn't need people in their lives. 
and their lives reveal exactly that. Every time I choose the path of foolishness, I lose something. This is so powerful, y'all. This is a revelation. Listen carefully. Adam and Eve were in the garden and the devil came and he spoke to Eve and he said, Eve, why don't you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve said, I can't eat of the tree because God said in the day I touch or eat of the tree, I will surely die. And the devil said, you will not die. And then he said this, but God knows in the day that you eat of the tree, you will know good from evil and you will be like God. Here's what the devil said. I want to give you something that you don't have now. But once you do this, you'll get it. Listen carefully. Every time I choose the path of foolishness, the devil never reminds me of what I'm going to lose. He only reminds me of what I think I'm going to get. In the Garden of Eden, if Satan was to be honest, here's what he would have said. Eve, you're going to lose your home. You're going to be put out of the garden. Eve, you're going to lose your innocence. You will know guilt, fear, and shame, and you will hide behind fig leaves. Not only will you be put out of paradise, you will then ensure that you will die, though God created you to live. Eve, your oldest son, Cain, he's going to kill your pride and joy, Abel. And most of all, Eve, you're going to lose the relationship with the God that loves you and gave you everything that a person could ever want. The devil never tells you what you're going to lose. He only tells you what you're going to gain. So pastor, how, how do you make decisions? How do you make, how do you and Miss Michelle make decisions? In January 15th, 40 years of marriage, walking each of your children into their destiny or on their way there. Walk through disappointment, heartache, betrayal, financial difficulties, blessings, prosperity, things that people say about us that are so wonderful they're not true. The loss of a child. The divorce of a child. Pastor, how, how do you walk through that it's very simple number one whenever a decision comes to me or to us it's significant obviously we pray we pray we don't pray when we have decisions we always pray so it's easy when we need to make a decision We're always talking to God, so the first time we go to Him is not when we want something. How many of you know people that only call you when they want something? God knows too. God does too. So the first thing is we pray. At that point, if there's no peace about it, it's a simple decision. No. No or not now. 
Sometimes no doesn't mean never. It just means not now. Here's the second thing. We seek God's word. Do I need to know if God wants me to stay married? Do I have to pray about that? God's word says so. Do I need to know whether I should forgive somebody who hurt me? Do I need to pray about that? No, God commands me to forgive. Do I need to know whether I should lie or not? No. No, there are things that are God's written will. I don't even have to pray about those things. If it's not from God's word, if it crosses God's word of truth, boom, it's an easy decision. Here's the third one. And this is where it gets hard now. I seek godly counsel. My pastor, Pastor Jim LaFoon, stays in our home two or three day, two or three times a year for two or three days at a time. He was just here a week and a half ago. He stays in our home. How's Jacob treating you? So I'm really, really, really good to her the week before he comes. How's Jacob treating you? How's Jacob Jr.? How's Christian? How's Joseph? How, how are their mates? How's Amber Grace? How's Timothy Head? How are y'all doing now with Wesley's loss? How are y'all still doing good? September 11th's coming up. How are y'all doing? Do you know why? Because not only do I not want to disappoint God, I don't want to disappoint you. Yeah. How many of you love having a pastor you think you can trust? How many of you are proud of your church? I, I don't want to double click and you see something that says, Pastor arrested with pornography. Pastor pulled over drunk driving. Pastor takes money from church. Pastor hits up on young girl. I am aware that more people than me are affected by every decision I make, even to the things that I buy. But it's also true of you. It might not be as many people, but it is surely people. I seek godly counsel. My son Joseph is here. Joseph, his brothers know this is true, so I can say it live on camera, is the easiest child of all of our children to love. When Joseph was partying, he was more wonderful than the children that were preaching. It's just true. It's not godly. I'm not saying he was godly. He just easy to love. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have children like that. Joseph, three years, three now, four years ago, went to be with Pastor Obed Martinez. We wanted him to come back and be here with us at church. So after a year, we said to our pastor, hey, can Joseph move back? Nope, God's not done with him. After two years, we said, Pastor Jim, could, could Joseph move back? He goes, nope. He's in the desert, literally. Palm Springs is the desert, and God's not done in the desert. Michelle and I wanted nothing more than for him to be here and Rochelle to be here. Going into three years, he called me. said, hey, I've been praying about it, Jacob. It's time for Joseph to come home. Listen, you don't get any nearer to your heart than that. You don't get any nearer to your heart than that. 
I want you to know that someone knows me that can say N-O to me. And if the only one that can say no to you is God, don't be surprised if you find out in very difficult ways. And if your concern is you don't want anybody to know your business, when you don't go to the right people, all the wrong people end up finding your business. Ask Bill Gates, ask Bill Clinton, and any other bill that you know that fits. All of us are men, we're flesh and blood. And all of us are capable of making foolish mistakes. You say, Pastor, as you follow this list, praying, seeking God's word, seeking godly counsel, and then submitting to all of it, has it always worked right? No. No. But 99.9999999% of the time it has. And God's covered me the other 0.0001% because he knew I did all I could to find godly wisdom to make the decisions that we make. I want you to have that experience. I want you to be able to take the truths of God's word. Build with people just as we have, as you saw with the Labords and other people that have been here for a duration of a long, long time. With community of people that are here in this house that you join in small groups, that you walk through freedom group with, that you go through prayer with, the people that God's joined you to relationally. That's what I want for you. Today, I want to pray for the gift of wisdom. Not only that you've heard the practical things that you need to do, but that God would impart to you both a willingness and a desire to submit, even if it's something that you've never been accustomed to in your life. So would you take both of your hands like this and just set them on your lap, open. Father, today, in the name of Jesus, Father, we cry out to you. And I ask you to impart to us the gift of wisdom. If we're stubborn, let it be a willing heart. If we're prideful and proud and quiet, let it be an openness. A fool is someone who's open to everyone, but a fool is also someone who's not open to someone. Today, may the gift of wisdom be imparted to us as we hear your word, as it cuts and shapes and molds and feeds and fills us. Holy Spirit, Jesus said he would send you and you would be the teacher, the comforter, the guide. Work in us. Work in us. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless you were born again, you wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. As a pastor, my greatest desire is to know that you're prepared, not only for now, but for eternity the moment you take your last breath, you can stand before God knowing not only that you're prepared to meet him, 
but that you lived on earth as though you were going to meet him one day. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But Jesus said in John 3, 3, unless you were born again, you wouldn't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Until you're born again, you don't go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Until you're born again, you can't know your sins are forgiven. And that Christ is living in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Until you're born again, you don't have the power to repent and turn away from hurts, habits, and hang-ups that are binding and blinding your life. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Either he died for your sin or you will. Somebody will die for your sin. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm the only one that's looking. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I may have been christened or baptized, but I've never prayed to be born again. Pastor, would you pray for me today? Today, I want to be born again. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand high and put it back down. By doing that, you're simply saying, pray for me. I've never been born again today, Pastor. I want to be. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. One, God brought you here. Nothing is ever an accident. Two, every prayer and every seed of the word of God that's been sown in your heart and on your path, TV, radio, a friend, a witness at work, a family member, has led up to this moment. And now's your time to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift it high. Lift it high. Put it back down. Yes. Yes, lift it high. One, two, three, four, five, six. Lift it high. High. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yes. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Back in the back. All right. Sixteen. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. Pastor, I did not raise my hand with these 16, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know God is talking to me. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I know you're asking this last time for me. If you've already raised your hand, don't do it again. But if you didn't, I'm asking this last time for you. Raise your hand and wave it at me. So you, I'll know that you're the one that I waited for. Yes, 17, 18, 19, 20. 21, 22. All right. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to pray out loud this prayer together. With all of those that raise their hand, we're going to join you in this prayer to be born again, to begin your spiritual journey. Let's pray out loud with them, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Come on, give it up for all those who prayed that prayer.